gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Football Attic Podcast 29. Uh, I'm Chris Oakley and uh, it's my pleasure to introduce the final part of the series that's been going on longer than Andy Townsend on a reverse charges phone call. It's the 50 Greatest Football Shirts Ever, uh, a series that you can explore fully over at thefootballattic.com. Before I go on any further, it uh, gives me great pleasure to welcome three men who are among the most notable connoisseurs of football shirt design. Sorry, I misread that. I should have said three men who are among the most not able connoisseurs of football shirt <laughs> design. Um, first of all, it's my uh, football attic partner, Rich Johnson. Hello, Rich. G'day, mate. <laughs> what, what the Australian vibe? What's that all about? G'day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's different, I suppose. Um, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, mate. Yes, thank oh, you. <laughs> Shut up. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, it's also uh, wonderful to say hello once again to uh, Jay from designfootball.com and John Devlin from truecoloursfootballkits.com. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello, hello. Chris. Hello. Oh. Yes, we, we welcome back Jay once again. Um, this is the uh, the last podcast <clears throat> in our short series of six, and uh, we've received lots of messages from people saying how sorry they are that uh, this series had to end after six weeks. Two would have been better, apparently, is what they were mostly saying. Um, <laughs> everyone's a critic. Um, as you will uh, find out, are they, are they mostly from people that don't understand how a top fifty works? Then, yeah, <laughs> I think you're so. saying had to end at one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, dear. Um, yes, um, uh, everyone's a critic, as I say. As you will find out uh, during the course of this podcast, as we cover the final five places in our countdown of the fifty greatest football shirts ever. Uh, today we begin with the shirt that was placed at number five in our list. Uh, it's the Liverpool shirt created by Adidas and worn between 1985 and 1987. So, Rich, given that you have uh, family links with the fine city of Liverpool, uh, I thought perhaps sir, you could get us underway with your thoughts about this shirt. Are la, I'm as sound as a pound, don't you know? Um, <laughs> Lady boy. Yes, <laughs> uh, la. <laughs> um, yeah, that's enough of the Anfield rap there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I nominated this because I, I think it's my favourite ever Liverpool shirt, and it's not in not in any way influenced by the fact that the first ever proper football match I watched was the eighty-five, eighty-six Cup final, where they wore this shirt. Definitely not. Um, I mean, it, to me, it just epitomises eighties football because it's shiny, which is what all football shirts should be. All football shirts should be shiny. It's got a shadow print, which all football shirts have, um, and also it's like. It's just it's it's got a V-neck. I like that as well. Um, and it's got a, like a proper V-neck, not like that horrible England Leeds two shirt with that stupid neck that joins about ten inches down the. Con- anyway, we're not it talking is. about that shirt, are we? <laughs> um, no. <clears throat> yeah. So I, it, it's I, to me it's the it's the ultimate Liverpool shirt because it's a proper vibrant red as well. It's like it annoys me when Liverpool kind of go off beat and sort of do a slightly darker shade or something. It's like they play in red and they should play in bright red, you know. Um, mm. And it's just—I cool. don't think it's just got the right level of trim on it as well. It's just you know, kind of the V-neck's got the kind of very 80s mid uh, sort of mid 80s thing of having several lines down the middle. But because they use the yellow and the white, it kind of just—I think the yellow and the white and the red seem to go really well together. Um, and and the shoulder stripes. This again, I just love the fact that they only go on the at the on the to the actual shoulders. They don't go down the arms, the sleeves, as they're known. Um, <laughs> And I, I just think it's great, and it, 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 it to me it just epitomises mid '80s football shirts before they got you know hideously tacky. Um, I mean, this definitely is not that, and it's got <laughs> crown paints on it. Classic sponsor. Indeed, 
I think that probably covers everything, but we must, uh, we're obliged to uh, <laughs> invite our other uh, panel members to give their views. Um, Jay, since you've been away for, for, for the last podcast, we'll, we'll bring you back to do some of the heavy lifting. Uh, your views on this shirt, please. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously reiterate everything that, that's what I'm about to do, I'm just going to reiterate everything that you just said. <laughs> no, the, um, yeah, it is a great shirt, and we're always going to have this iconic debate. Is is it iconic because of what they achieved? It was the the, fir- the shirt that Liverpool wore when they um, they won the double for the first time. So a lot of people think of this shirt as as being lesser in terms of uh, on on pitch exploits. But they they won the double in it and probably were the best team in Europe. But Liverpool were banned from playing in Europe at the time. Um, one point about it, I did see uh, on the article on the Football Attic website, uh, a guy called Nick is right. And that is one of the greatest names ever because everything he says he seems to be right about. He said that um, the, the collar is, is red and that works really well because obviously a lot of collars are contrast collars. So you have it in white on a red shirt and so on. But because, of the, because you've got the badges and you've got the sponsor, it's still early years for sponsorship on football shirts. Liverpool were a, a pioneer in that. But because you've got the white of the badges and the sponsor... It's quite a high proportion of white there. So to not have a white <coughs> collar on the shirt works really well. So you've got the right balance of, of red and white there as well. But as you say, the little bit of white trim, a little bit of yellow trim as well goes together brilliantly. Uh, there have been two different reissued versions of this shirt. Adidas reissued it about five or six years ago, I think, uh, as part of their originals range. And it really wasn't this shirt at all. It's the amount of changes they made. For example, they made a, um, they gave it a uh, like a wrap over V-neck collar for some reason. Must be yes. deliberate. I'm not sure the reason for it. Uh, it was basically another show. It was as if there was a, a, a special season that um, that appeared from nowhere in the 80s that no one knew about that this was a, a reissue of. And Score Draw re- reissued it as well. Uh, and it doesn't have the Adidas stripes. Doesn't have the Adidas logo. And for a shirt like this, everything coming together is what makes it great. And if you take out some of these elements, it doesn't doesn't work as well. well so the... the funny thing with that is that Scordraw have actually released several versions of that because I when I was back in the homeland a couple of years ago, right, um, and I went to the Liverpool shop um, and they had the Scordraw versions of all the sort of 80 shirts. And at the time, uh, there was a version which had two stripes on it on the shoulder, I think, yeah. and there was also a version with one stripe on the shoulder. And then the latest versions have no stripes, yeah. which is cack. But what they and did for the added, what, sorry, go on, John. I was going to say, don't have they not got some some commemorative embroidery on there now as well, or something around the well, where the Adidas logo was? <clears throat> yeah, that's the thing. They replaced that with the ones that said like FA Cup final, you know, and and champions winners or something like that. So it kind of from a distance, it looks like a cup final shirt. Um, but then when you close to realise it's not. The, the two stripes thing is, I would guess, is because you need a licence to do it, so I'm not sure how it, how it actually works, but I think Adidas don't like two stripes. I mean, <clears throat> two stripes on trainers isn't allowed anymore because because Adidas just went, oh, you're still copying us. Even though you've got one less stripe, you're still copying us. And their legal power, their legal might is such that they stop people putting two stripes on trainers. That's That's terrifying. <laughs> On, on the lack of something. Yes, good one. Yes, very good. <laughs> Sorry, go on, John. I was going to say, I always thought it was Puma that went for two stripes. I thought they had yeah, a thing. They, for, do, yeah. they, they tried to do a two stripe equivalent, but it, it didn't really gel. You, 
but yeah, I'd, but then no, of course that's always the problem of any retro shirt. You're never going to be able to replicate it unless you are the original manufacturer. Mm. I, I think it's worth us. I, I think we've alluded to this story, but I don't know if we've actually told the story of Johan Cruyff. Have we actually said it yet? I'm sure well, we I have. Think, briefly in passing, I think. But yes, but but for the benefit of those who are new to the party. Um... Okay, well, in in the 70s, uh, Adidas made the the um, Netherlands shirts. But Johan Cruyff had a deal with Puma, and he got he actually arranged. There's an idea that he tore off one of the stripes. That's not actually true. He had special custom-made Netherlands shirts, which only had two stripes. And I think there were a couple of other players who had the same thing. So instead of having the three stripes on the sleeves, they only had two. Um, the the thing with that is that Puma occasionally nod to that. So there was a kit a few seasons ago that had two stripes on the shoulder, which was a direct nod. To, yeah, it's not a it's not a branding thing, but it's to nod back to, to what what Johan Cruyff did. Yeah, mm. I didn't know that. I thought he just picked the, the stripe off, so the legend goes. But there we go. <clears throat> nice to stand corrected on that. Thank you very uh, much. Indeed, it may have begun like that. It may have been one match or something, but I'm 99 percent sure after that he had custom made shirts which only had two stripes. Yeah. See, I'm disappointed now because I like the idea of Johan Cruyff ripping a stripe <laughs> off his shirt. Get these stripes off my shirt, as he would have said. He was Stephen Curran. Can we do it in a Dutch accent, Rich? Come on. <laughs> yeah, shut up. You've done that joke before. Why is Daddy that shit on my shirt? Get it off, man. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Sorry, it walks into a corner at that time. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, moving on. Get us out of this cultural <laughs> low point. Well, I, I think with this shirt, I mean, I, I'm looking at it again now, actually. I think we could write a whole book on this shirt. And I think it's, um, when you look at it in context as well, and you look at what Liverpool were achieving and what they'd worn previously, a lot of people have said to me, the late 70s classic white V-neck should be in there. And you think, again, that, that tends to lean on the on the kind of barometer of, of um, iconic and classic design. It definitely goes towards the more towards the iconic because that's what people associate with that that first you know real burst of Liverpool success, but I think this is a I think this is a better shirt, and I think you know there's so many so much stories, so many things have come out about it. Of course, when it first, it was first worn in that European Cup final, um, the tragedy at High School, so it, was, it kind of had that. It's an unfortunate, it's an understatement way to start off a you know a kit. It was worn then without the sponsor logo and without the Adidas text under the badge. So it kind of didn't get off to a good start, let's be honest. Yeah. But I mean, really, it it just it has got it's got real elegance, it's got real sophistication. I think it was the first shirt to have kind of shadow um, yeah. badges on there, and is that right? I think it was. <laughs> so it started a trend with that as well. But it's coming out of a period where Umbro were totally associated with Liverpool's success. So for another brand and a, and a foreign brand at that to come in, it was a big deal and it had to be something special. If that shirt had failed, it, you know, there would have been, I think it would have been a big problem for, for Liverpool and Adidas at the time. And the, and the fact it came out and was launched with this wonderful set of three kits all at the same time, red, white and yellow, with the colours completely blended together perfectly and in the right proportions, it just makes it a wonderful, wonderful set of kits. So... Mm. Yeah, I think I think it deserves to be up there. And although the the earlier Umbro ones were were good, I think this one's great. Fair enough, and all that. Um, yeah, I, for my two penneth worth, I think I have to say it's not my favourite one. Um, I think if if any of us didn't really kind of push with all their might for this shirt to be in the top five, it may have been me. I think that the other three of you would have um, sort of rated it higher. 
Um, but it's I do like it. I, I just happen to prefer the the previous one um, in Liverpool's chronology, as it were, which is the the pinstripe shirt, as it's always known, um, which I happen to have when I was a kid anyway as well, which is sort of gives it extra meaning for me. But um, but this one is just it just looks. It just looks a mile ahead of that previous shirt in terms of the styling. It just is such a leap forward, real sort of um, style and, and a lot of sort of detail coming in, the whole sort of shadow thing going on, and that use of uh, very subtle use of uh, yellow piping on the on the collar and everything. Um, very nicely done. I'm not sure to what extent yellow would have been used on a home shirt for Liverpool previous. That probably hardly ever, if at all. But, um, only, but on the the, only on the badges, of course. Yes, well, exactly, and and um, in, interestingly, of course, obviously they they used to uh, wear yellow as an away kit colour um, for many years, way before that. So um, I guess it had to, at some point, manifest itself more prominently on the home shirt. But um, but very nice too. And um, yeah, I think Jay, your point there is absolutely spot on. If that had been a white collar on that shirt, then the whole balance of the red and white contrast would have been completely thrown out. If they if they got that absolutely spot on, I think uh, you're quite right on the V-neck collar there. So. Um, Yes, a fine shirt, and um, as you said earlier on, uh, Jay, we did get a bit of feedback from Nick is right, uh, just to sort of spell out what he said. He, he said the key detail of this shirt is the red collar it keeps the correct balance of white on the shirt. The away and third shirts both use the same red collar, and the balance of red on them was perfect too. Genius. Um, and the only other comment we had was at the other end of the um, enthusiasm scale. We'll get ready for more of this as we go along, because we're in the series <laughs> now, the top five. This is the tip of the iceberg, this one. Uh, Rob Langham on our website just said prosaic, which I think is a bit harsh. <laughs> I think there's a, it's a, it's worthy of a bit more praise than that. But anyway, thank you. Anyway. <coughs> um, sorry, just uh, just on the different versions of the shirt. My favourite version of this shirt is uh, the version that Steve Nichol wore, uh, wore on the 1986-87 Liverpool squad photo, uh, which doesn't have any of the badges. It just has <laughs> as the sponsor. It doesn't have the crest or the Adidas logo on it. Oh, so the um, market stall version, basically. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what happened there. And the FA Cup final had the, it was one line, wasn't it? I think by that point they'd switched to a crown paints in one line, um, which didn't look uh, as good as yeah. the two line version. I, I don't know why they did that. I think they must have thought they were getting extra <laughs> exposed. I, yeah, I don't understand that. My favourite ones were the ones they used to make in that super skin type material for Jan Mulvey. <laughs> <laughs> I've got those <laughs> I've got those. I've got the special editions where you can't even get them over your head. <laughs> <laughs> Is that for your action man or something? <laughs> no, it's for John Spider-Man. Chris, just going back quickly to that comment about being prosaic, mm. I think it's absolute, the absolute opposite of that. Mm. I, I can't understand that comment at all. Everyone's got yeah. a different opinion, sure, but yeah. you can, but, you know... You can throw stuff at it, but you, I don't think you can throw that at it. That, that's hindsight. That's maybe not knowing the chronology. Because if yeah, you look concept. back on these shirts, you, you're saying, okay, well, that looks like every other shirt from the 80s. Well, yeah, but this was the first one that did that. So you, you, <laughs> it's, if you don't know the order of when these shirts were released, not, not, to say that he, not to say that he's ignorant, necessarily. But, no, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it may be, well be that it, it gets lost in this... <clears throat> Yeah, it gets lost in all the other shirts that were, mm. were similar of a similar time, but this was actually uh, uh, one of the first ones. I have a feeling this issue is going to raise itself on a later shirt we've got coming up as well, so we'll see. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, <laughs> anyway, 
we must press on to our number four shirt. Um, we're uh, getting definitely to the business end of things now. Uh, our number four shirt was worn by Denmark. It's a classic, an absolute classic. Uh, their 1986 to 1987 home shirt uh, made by Hummel, um, seen by millions around the world during the 86 World Cup. And uh, I'm going to come to you first on this one, John, I think. Um, uh, it's, it's one of my favourites. What say you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's when when it came out again. When you when you go back to when it was first um, launched, the shock of it almost was incredible. You know, from going from a, a plain, a relatively plain red shirt to come out with something like this was um, was unbelievable. <clears throat> and then of course it cropped up so many other Apple shirts at the time as well. But there's just something about this half and half design that's just brilliant. I think it's it's just so well balanced it really is and the chevron trim i don't think you can beat that i think humble chevron trims the business and even the fact the wrap over v-neck goes the other way to most shirts is again <laughs> something a little bit a little bit unusual but it's it's just the little touch of navy on there as well that really adds something to it but it, again you have to think back at how shocking it was at the time you know it really was although we've got there's another team that wears um, half shirts, blue and white. I think I can't remember who they are <laughs> off the top of my head. No, but, um, I think some of our um, yeah, listeners but, may be reminding us later in this podcast. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but this this one is is just brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, and it has. I think as someone mentioned, it's, it's got a real flair to it and a real arrogance to it as well, which is which is great. So no, real a real classic. This one, I think. See, this is why we get people like John Devlin on our podcast list, is because he would have spotted the fact that it was a reverse wrap over on the collar. That just didn't even occur mm -hmm. to me. But that's just—I love that fact. Now that you've just mentioned that, John, that's wonderful. <laughs> uh, Jay, um, what? What is, is? Am I right in thinking? I'm just trying to remember because we, this is now like we, we're recording this about three weeks or something after we finished uh, getting to the end of our podcast. Were you not so fond of this one, or is this another shirt I'm thinking of? No, it's 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 not one I, I particularly. It's not one I love, but I, I wouldn't for a second try to deny its its importance or its its place in. Because if you're looking at the mid '80s like that, this is when shirts came along where where you actually said no, they've they've broken off from from clothes in a in a way. Like so, before then, it was always like a permutation of what you would wear in the street. Football shirts tended to be so. You would have to add the crest, you would add the manufacturer's logo, and all these things would happen gradually. This is the first time where we actually said, no, no, if you took away those elements, if you took away the badges, and obviously with the Coventry version, if you took away the sponsor as well, then you, would, you wouldn't wear this thing in the street. You wouldn't, it's not a T-shirt, it's not a top. It's, it's specifically, because of the design, it is actually made for football. It is, and even if, you are, even if it aims at the uh, replica market, it isn't a polo shirt or all these other different things. And there are elements of that that are great. And obviously we're going back to that now a lot in in manufacturers making things that people will will feel comfortable wearing because it's similar to what they have in their wardrobe anyway in sort of leisure wear. But this completely went away from that. Uh, the thing about the wrap, the wrap over collar thing, I ha have noticed it, and it's great that this is the only version, as, as far as I know, that does have the reverse wrap over, the Coventry one doesn't, and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge important shirt. I don't, visually, it's not to my taste, but yeah, massively important. <coughs> And, uh, and Rich, um, I, I'm guessing that uh, as a, a Coventry fan, a team that wore a variation of this uh, particular template, um, you are a huge fan of this one. 
Uh, yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I mean, a couple of points I was going to make was that um, I, I, it's when you look at early '90s kits, and everyone accepts that early '90s kit design went a little bit um, mental. Um, then, if you ask people kind of where that started, those not really in the know will tell you it started in the kind of '90s. Those with a bit more knowledge will tell you it started probably in the late '80s with the Holland shirt, um, the uh, the Netherlands '88 one. Um, but you have to remember that this was two years before that, um, and I think a lot of people generally forget that if, when, like, um, like you've already said, it's when you look at where football kits became things that people properly started designing, rather than uh, and and where they started experimenting with design. So you had the period where football shirts were generally kind of you know, in the 60s and mostly the 70s, where they were just sort of functional and it was representing the colours of the team. Then you started hitting this sort of late 70s and 80s, where they realised they could sell replicas and it became a bit more important to get different designs. And then you hit a kind of period where designers thought, you know, we can really go to town on these things. Mm. Um, and that's kind of this was like you said, the, the first one that that really happened, where there was that kind of clear divide of this just doesn't have to represent the team well you can actually have something that is is a kind of almost like a piece of art in itself um, yeah. and I, I think that's quite interesting because like I say I think most people would tend to think it the Holland 88 shirt was the first kind of properly crazy design but actually it's, this was two years earlier not only that but originally the shorts that went with it were the reverse of, mm. the, of the top so when the, the Denmark home one was kind of red on the left and, and white and red on the right the shorts reversed that, and it just looked, I mean, to be honest, it looked a bit horrific, but apparently FIFA overruled it for the World Cup and said, no, you're not having that. Um, so they had to switch to sort of plain red and white shorts. Um, yes. uh, there was something else I was going to mention as well, but I can't think what it was, so never mind. Uh, go on. Sorry, Rich, just saying, when you're talking about the FIFA overruling it, one thing that's crossing my mind now is that I wonder if, how it worked with clashes. I mean, what, how did, um, it, does it clash with white? Does it clash with red? I don't know. I can't remember well, what, their, what their was. Their away was um, basically almost exactly First. the same, except that, except that the left. <laughs> well, it, it kind of, it, realistically, it kind of was, because basically what they did was on the left-hand side, it was a kind of, um, it was white, but it was kind of two sort of shades of white, sort of slightly grayer white and, and pure white on the left, and then the same red and white stripes on the right. So these days it probably wouldn't be allowed as an away shirt because it still features half of the same kit as the home mm. and still features red and white stripes. When does that stop anybody these days? But I, I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is if they played a team in white, they probably could have stuck with the, the shirt. I think they stuck with the red, yeah, because um, in fact they did. They played Germany um, at the World Cup, and they stuck to the the. I think they wore the red one. Um, I'm trying to think what I th think what they wore against the other two teams. But I think they played Scotland and whoever else was in that group. But I can't remember. Um, Uruguay. Uruguay. Did they play Uruguay? Yeah. Yes, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Uruguay played in blue, so don't know mm. what they did. I think they stayed in the red for that one. And wasn't it also? A green and white version of it. Was it green and white version of this, the third kit? Oh, I've, got, I've made that uh, up. There is a third... Mm. Well, there is a green and white version out there with a Denmark badge on it. Whether it was officially, we don't. I don't actually oh, know. Okay. I, right. I, own a, I own a green and white version of it, but it's not a Denmark one. But then I also oh. own, I think in Euro 96, I've got a blue Denmark one, which is supposedly a third shirt as well. But again, there was no <laughs> sign of it at the tournament. So whether these things are genuine or not, I don't know. Hmm. 
just um, somebody clearly um, exploring their fantasies and wanting to turn them into reality to do them in different colourways. But um, but the thought of a green I, one is quite quite nice actually. I I tell you what, I mean, I, I own this shirt in so many different colourways, and that's that's the other thing about these that again, you know, that we've mentioned this before that a lot of these iconic kits from the eighties were just templates, and they got used all over the place, you know, and it's like, I mean, I, I've got, I must have the shirt, apart from, I mean, even before um, it came over here, and, and Aston Villa and Southampton and Coventry got in on the act, they were being used all over Europe, and, and mostly, again, for, like, non-league teams, or sort of much lower league teams, it's it's quite bizarre to think that what we now regard as, you know, classic designs were, at the time, just a template that was rolled out to all and sundry. Yeah. But of course, Denmark always being Hummel's kind of um, what's the word? Not figurehead side. What's the uh, their kind of like leading team? I think they always sort of kitted them out first in it. Is yeah, that yeah. right? Well, that yeah, that's the thing because the the Denmark when it came over here, uh, it was a, it was a year after um, Denmark had worn it. So it right. was, it's, and that's that's kind of odd as well because it's like to see an iconic design and then not see it anywhere else for a year. It's like just and I don't even know wearing it by that part. I think they were actually. I can't remember how long they actually wore it for. And it's, it's actually interesting as well. It's the complete opposite of FIFA's kind of subtle unofficial rules about single colour kits or the, you know, the rumours of that. It's the complete yeah. opposite, isn't it? It's sort of saying, no, do you know what? Half and half. Make of it what you will. <laughs> That's, you know. Yeah. I just think, what I like about this shirt is that it just basically succeeds in the face of Everything that should make it a disaster. I mean, there's just there's so much detail on there. I mean, for a start, you've got a halved shirt with contrasting, you know, opposite sleeves, which is kind of enough for, and certainly was enough for teams like I think, you know, QPR in the in the 70s had a way kit was like that, and mm. uh, and you know, Blackburn Rovers. There we go. I've said it now. Hope you're all satisfied. <laughs> um, and yeah, so so that is that is a one level of detail. Then you go and overlay pinstripes. You know, across the, the the piece, which is fine. Then you've got navy blue piping. Then you've got a wrap over collar, and then you've got chevrons down the sleeve. By all accounts, this should be an absolute train wreck of a of a shirt. <laughs> and yet, for me, it's just it just it's wonderful. And it and of course, it, we come back to this thing about context again of talking about the shirts that preceded it and the shirts that followed. Of course, mm. as we'll probably find out with um, certainly one shirt that's due to come on our uh, on the remainder of this podcast. When you've got a solid block colour that is what you are expecting to see on a shirt year in, year out, in this case red for Denmark, when it suddenly turns up sort of half red, kind of white slash pink from a distance, you know, all that, it, it's it's going to either be really bloody good or really horrific. And it just I, I think it was just great because um, I just think it shows that somebody actually went to a lot of effort to put in a lot of detail on it and to, and to create some interest with it. And I dare say there are people around that, that don't like it, but I just think somehow they've knitted together all these elements which should not work, and it just looks sublime in my view. It's a wonderful shirt. And it's something as well. I know we've. I think we've. Well, I think I've touched on this before as well. It's what I think Warrior tried to do with Liverpool's change shirts when they were producing them, trying to make something bold, trying to make something different, but forgetting that actually they have to look aesthetically pleasing and balanced. Mm. And that's what Hummel did right, and it's what Warrior I feel did wrong. Yeah. So one, yeah. one last thing I wanted to say was that um, whereas when when um, England stopped being supplied by Umbro and went to Nike, uh, the moment that Hummel stopped supplying. Denmark was a as a dark day in football. Yeah. Denmark and Adidas is just wrong. And Adidas yeah. have so far 
Actually, to be fair, I think the last shirt they did was for, for Denmark was actually the first one that was half decent. Well, actually, the, the one they wore in, I think it was Euro 2012, was actually all right. But that was they were clearly aping the Denmark 92 shirt in that, so I can't give yeah. them credit. Um, but yeah, the, the last one they did was all right. But actually, I think even the last one they did was kind of there were elements of the 86 kit in it because there were a lot of sort of shadow sort of pinstripes on it. So. I, it's, just, it's just wrong. Hummel should supply Denmark. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, fine. Right. Sorry, go on, Jay. Uh, sorry, yeah. The uh, Hummel actually, um, they, they've obviously they're known for this shirt and, uh, and to a lesser extent the Euro '92 shirt. But the one they wore, I think it's the '02 World Cup <laughs> with uh, when they got beaten three 0 by England. That was a great shirt, and it was a really really simple shirt as well. Like. Um, Really, to to use a overused phrase, a really clean design that was good. So that they could do, they had all these different ways of um, of putting together Denmark shirts, and they always seemed to succeed. So yeah, definitely. Since Adidas taken over, it's been uh, a real drop in quality. Uh, just in terms of influence, there's a Newcastle United shirt from the early 90s that has like thick. Uh, stripes on one side and very thin stripes on the other. So I suppose that's, that's, that that's a hideous shirt, though. Right? <laughs> that's well, the, yeah. what they call the barcode shirt, which is just yeah. awful. Yeah. Even now, I can't make up my mind whether I like that shirt. It just <laughs> messes with my mind that one. It really does. So, well, same here. I think it looks awful, but there's something about it that I, because it's so bad, I, I quite like it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was an ex- it's like an experiment that didn't work, you know. And it'd be interesting to know if they were inspired by the, the Denmark one because it's kind of very, very different, but. I don't know. It's, 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 I remember when I first saw it, I just thought it looked a mess. <laughs> well, now that we've got rid of the actually, Newcastle fans. We... Yeah. Well, one thing, one last thing I was going to say actually about Hummel and their Denmark designs was that, um, I mean, to me, Hummel didn't always get it right. It's not like they were perfect for Denmark because they released a lot of kits which I thought were crap. I mean, the Euro 96 one I thought was just far too fussy. The, the Euro 92 one I thought was an abomination. I mean, a lot of people like it, probably influenced by the fact that they won in it. And it was a great story at the time, but the kit itself was just diabolical. It was like stripes going in all directions and everything. So so it's not like Hummel were perfect, but it just was a natural fit. And it's just Adidas have, I don't know, all the kits they released for Denmark just seem soulless. Anyway, that's enough of me ranting. Sorry, Chris. No, sorry, I was just going to quickly say for balance, I was going to say I, I feel that Hummel didn't always get it right for Denmark, but as you just said, Jay, but, uh, uh, sorry, Rich, big pardon. So uh, anyway, John, you were saying. Yeah, it's again, I, I just, I've got a real thing. I love the idea of a, if you've got to be of the nationality to play for the country, I think the kit manufacturer should be the country mm. in the same country of the, of the team, if that makes sense. So I think that's quite a nice a nice way of doing it. Yeah, well, um, lots of feedback on this one, as I kind of expected we would get. Um, beginning with uh, the aforementioned Nicky's right, uh, who said, uh, I would have put money on this being number one. Uh, as a proud owner of this shirt, I can say it's a beautiful, as beautiful in real life as it was on my telly in 1986. So uh, thank you once again for that. Um, an anonymous message on our website said, uh, love the massive, excuse me, Mike, I've got a cat in the room and it's meowing its head off. You can, excuse me. <sighs> Things you have to put up with. Um Sorry, um, uh, an anonymous message uh, said, uh, loved the massive italicized numbers on the back of this too, which of course is a key. We all, all too easily forget the backs of some of these shirts, but um, yes, the, the numbers were b- beautiful in, in the 86 World Cup. 
And uh, Nick is right once again, saying um, blue on red red doesn't usually work, but they were so massive, those numbers, you could see them from row Z, uh, which is exactly right, yes, exactly as it should be. Um, the aforementioned Rob Langham from the Two Unfortunates said, um, not sure including this and the Coventry 87-88 kit in the countdown is cricket. Uh, the latter looked a bit rubbish on Greg Downs, which is a bit personal, um, <laughs> but um, that's an... Uh, that uh, the, the comment about um, you know two versions of the same template was um, uh, it's a, actually echoes a comment we had from Andy Rockle and um, James Taylor as well on on other re referring to other shirts. It's it's a common um, thing that we've in terms of the feedback we've had about our 50 greatest football shirts. A few people have pointed this out, um, but. Um, a group decision was made. I, I can honestly say, I'm sorry to break rank here, but I, I was kind of in favour of not having more than one version of the same template. But I guess I have been won over during the course of this whole um, thing. So, um, you know, it, it, it just goes to show that in different colours, you can sort of get a different look and feel for how good a shirt is. So, anyway, that's all I have to say on that one. Um, could be worse. Could be a certain other template. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alipur Amir via Facebook said Danish Dynamite, which um, just made us think, wish we'd use that in our headline on our post. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Rich Nelson on Facebook said, only number four, blimey. Uh, and John Dobson said exactly the same thing, only number four, you better have some, uh, better have got some belters in the top three. Well, I think you won't be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, you probably know them by now. <laughs> um, and uh, finally, Carl via Twitter said, uh, should be Denmark slash Saints. Uh, we, as in Southampton, had exactly the same kit. Uh, yes, I've quite forgotten all about that one, actually. Carl, yes, thank you yeah, for reminding me. They didn't have it for a, They didn't have it until the following season, so you can't claim that. I don't think. Well, it, exactly, it wasn't exactly the same because no, exactly. yeah, yeah, and so one other Saints badge on it. Apart from that, <laughs> your logic really, was flawless. But you can't claim that anyway because Denmark had it a whole year before Saints did. Saints were just ripping off Denmark. If anything, Saints should have been sacked for that or some other. <laughs> <just making that. laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and with that, we uh, we now move on to our number three shirt, which is another classic. I'm afraid, afraid I'm going to use the word classic quite a lot probably on this podcast, but um, we are in the top five after all. Uh, this is the Netherlands shirt, uh, the aforementioned Euro 88 shirt, um, uh, designed by Adidas. It's their home shirt in orange, but in pastel hues, you might say. Um, an absolute beaut, I think, this one. I'm going to go to you, Rich, to, uh, to open the bidding on this one. It's just sensational. What can we say about it? Uh, first thing is it's quite dull. <laughs> um, like I mentioned earlier, um, this is one of those shirts that I think I think I, I wonder actually if more people remember this one than the Denmark one, but or whether they're just mm. equally as famous. But um, I first remember when I saw this, and I, the funny thing is I I don't remember having the same level of shock value as when I saw the Denmark. I'm I mean, sorry, when I saw this. Hang on, I'll get this right. <laughs> Go to someone else, quick. Uh, um, I wasn't as shocked when I saw the Denmark one as when I saw this. And I think it's possibly because Holland weren't in the 86 World Cup. So I, kind of my, my knowledge of Holland in terms of football was kind of quite low. So when they turned up and the first time I'd ever really seen them play was in this shirt, it was like... Oh holy mother of God! <laughs> so, and I, I, my my friend had one. He had like a retail version of it, and I just remember seeing it, and just thinking, "Wow, you know, it's just like what have they done?" Because it's just like again, although Denmark had had their wacky shirt, this was just something else. It was just, yeah. it was a pattern out of nowhere. You know, the, the, it wasn't even following normal 
kit design. I mean, at least Denmark was, you know, a combination of half and half and stripes and pinstripes, you know. This was just com- something else, and it was just, uh, the sheer shock value of it was just amazing. And it was orange as well. Obviously it was orange because it was Holland, but it was designed in orange. I think that was just possibly the best possible colour for it. You know, it's like, what mm. other colour can you think of other than maybe, like, bright pink or, you know, something like that that would be just as kind of impactful on first viewing? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, we've we've talked about the fact there were other versions of it. The West Germany away one that they wore two years later in the 1990 World Cup was a really nice version of it. Um, and, of course, Russia had the same one in red, which, again, see, that, that proves my point, whether Holland won, because I think someone... I'm rambling now. Someone made this comment in, in um, against this shirt and said, well, they considered the Russian one better. But I think the reason I consider the Holland one better is because it's not in a plain colour like red. Because the red ones, while nice, don't just don't have the same impact as it in orange, and it's. I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> yeah. No, some good points to raise. Jay, I'll come to you next on this one. Yeah, that that is. We've seen it before. The we have the debate over using the template several times in in the fifty or or saying oh well, the, all of the shirts that have that template were great. So which one do you actually choose? Sometimes the colours is is the reason. So this one was orange, uh, white with with black trim or black badges, I suppose. And yeah. and also, yeah, part of the design is is a sort of very dark grey. It's barely noticeable, but part of the isometric pattern is is in grey. Well, what's great for me with this shirt, and in contrast to the the eighty six one, the eighty six uh, Denmark shirt, is that that became very much of the of the time. So you you can say it's like a proto ninety shirt, the Denmark one, but it is. It is a lot going on. It's a huge amount going on on that shirt, and it—I wouldn't say it's messy, but um, it's a little bit overkill. With this one, it's—it's it's so uniform, and there's an element to it where you actually say this is actually quite restrained because it's the the pattern is so mathematically led in in the way it's uh, the way it's deployed on the shirt. It actually. It, it actually influences sort of two decades or maybe even three decades of, of shirts that were to follow to actually say, no, you've actually you've got to use it in the right way. You can't just plaster things on a shirt. So it went away from that in the early 90s where people just said, all right, well, anything goes there. We'll just throw this on the shirt. But that's not actually what Adidas did with this shirt. They, they, they kept it very, very tight in that regard. Mm. Excellent point. Yeah. Before I come to you, John, I'll throw in my, my views on this one. There, which is just um, it's... It, it was so intriguing as a design when you first saw that. I can vaguely remember sort of watching Euro 88 and seeing this shirt and thinking, what's what's that all about? And it kind of it leads you in on different levels. You start off and you see these kind of white flecks all over it, which, which um, in its own right would have been a sort of fairly revolutionary thing. Um, but then you sort of realise that actually it's a gradient pattern and a repeating one at that. Then you start seeing that those are individual geometric shapes then you start seeing it as a kind of 3d kind of almost like like a sort of i don't know some kind of arrow shaped path going off into the distance it's and it's just so many different levels that it draws you in on it's just um, it's an amazing design for that point of view um it's uh, what i also find quite intriguing is the fact that you don't that you have white adidas stripes on the sleeves but black 
Adidas logo and badge, and the, you know, would it have worked if you'd have had, say, black stripes? I think this is, I'm sure I'm right in saying that a lot of people have had a go at sort of doing this as a kind of mock-up thing, and they've done their own, people have added their own little tweaks to their own designs, like putting black Adidas stripes on the sleeves. Um, uh, I think in, in, in many ways, I think they've got it spot on, Adidas. I don't know why, it just works, having white on the stripes and black on the, on the logos. Um, and the collar is just a, a nice kind of, what you might call a more regular, more sort of traditional for the time um, sort of motif, if you like, just a, a plain white wrap over collar with a nice orange trim. Um, such was seen quite a lot in those days. It's, it's just a joy. It's just a joy. A shirt that I wish I'd kind of owned. Um, in fact, probably if I walked down the street and saw there was a shop selling it today, I'd probably buy it on spec. I think it's probably that good. But uh, anyway, John, what do you mm, think? Good luck with that. They cost hundreds. <laughs> well, there is, that's why it's probably not going to happen. But anyway, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I remember at the time very, very clearly watching that championship. And I have to say, it's one of those, I don't know if it's a perverse thing. I hated it and I loved <laughs> it at the same time. And, and I, I don't say I feel that strongly about it now, but at the time I, I really had so strong mixed feelings in either direction. And in some, I mean, there's a, there's a train of thought in design that if you are, if you do do that, you've created something of brilliance. Mm -hmm. If you can make people hate it and like it in kind of equal quantities, then you're you're doing something right. And I think that definitely applies to this shirt because if you did it for me, I think the whole you know, the whole world was divided on it. But it was, it was just so shocking. And I think Jay um, was absolutely right about the effect the Denmark kit had. But when you look at it, it was still playing with the same the same ingredients, really, wasn't it? Panels of colour. What what this sort of shirt does is say, do you know what? Blow all that. We're going to do something completely different, probably because technology had advanced to the stage where they could do that. I think it was one of those technologically driven shirts that they were able to do those kind of designs on there. And... Um, it completely blew it away. And, and funny enough, uh, Chris, you said this, and I'd never noticed it, and so I'm looking at it now as we're talking. I'd never picked, considering I illustrated this, I'd never picked up quite on that 3D aspect of it. Yeah. Now all I can see are blocks coming out of the shirt. You know? yeah. and I'd never picked up on that before. But that's that's all I all I see. But, I mean, I think it is. it was just so different. And, if you, and, and the true definition of the word sublime, I think, is this shirt. It is. It's just glorious. It really is. Mm. Yeah, and a very good point actually. You said there, Rich, about the fact that you know the orange, because orange is a slightly kind of different colour, maybe a, a colour we we don't see that often on football shirts generally. Um, and because I've seen, because in your shirt collection, I know you've got different variations of this one in different colours, and you know, seen the red of the Soviet Union, not necessarily in your collection, but just the red one. Uh, there's a blue one, isn't there? Which was it? USA had a blue one. Is that right? Rich. Yeah, the oh, USA had team. is no, no, no. The USA had as an away shirt, and I think 1988 as well, 1889. 89, only theirs was well. Technically, theirs wasn't upside down um, <laughs> because well, what it is is that if you look at that, the whereas this shirt, the pattern points upwards on the USA shirt, it points downwards, no. but it's not actually upside down. It's just rotated slightly because if you follow the pattern around the shirt, it actually does. It kind of goes up and down, so it, it's like someone's rotated the the fabric about ninety degrees around the someone's body. But it, yeah, it, to one sense, I suppose it's, it's pointing downwards. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's actually a really nice one in blue. Um, there's a light blue version. I've got a green version. I've got a yellow version. Uh, I the only one I don't have an original of is an orange one because um, they cost so much. Because yeah, I think the only one I obviously had the orange uh, was Holland or <laughs> Netherlands. Jay um, and. Uh, <laughs> 
Sorry, Rick, could you just share, um, clear up this story? I always had it in my head that there was issues with the replica versions of this shirt and that they were never produced at the time, but I don't think that's that's right now, is no, it? No, it's, it's not true that they never produced them. There were several different versions. I know they did produce them because my mate had one. And, in fact, I think if you look back through some of the um, oh, what they soccer scene catalogs that I think you've put up on um, on Twitter before oh, and I think other people have, uh, there's definitely one in there um, and in the sort of late 80s stuff. Um and they definitely did one of the Germany away one, but they they basically they are, from what I can see and from what I've heard, there were about three different retail versions. So there's one with a plain white neck, there's one with the wrap over neck, um, and then there's others with like the badges can be different on it. I think, but none of the ones that were released as a um, as a retail version looked exactly the same as the proper version. So I think the badge on the retail versions was like a kind of solid one, whereas on the retail version it was an outline with KNVB written under it. Right. So KNVB, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, it's, it's a shame because the, I think when we were writing about this show and when we were talking about it, nominating it and so on, um, the, the version I think that is the, the perfection is, is the actual, the player's version. And I think I've maybe seen one of them, but it probably was like a, a player's version that somehow made it into sort of public domain but um, something regarding the cost of these shirts something I know to be the case through experience is that somewhere in the world there is a sports shop that an old sort of backstreet sports shop that has a pile of about 10 of these all in the original Adidas wrapping on a shelf out the back you're, not, you're never going to know where it is but they exist there and that's just that I don't know whether that makes me happy or sad but they, they are out there well the other thing Let's is, go on quest to find that place. <laughs> the other thing is, for anyone that actually likes the shirt but isn't too bothered about fine detail, you can buy them for about twenty quid. Because um, uh, there's a, a Dutch uh, online football shop, I believe, called Vootbolschip. <laughs> it's, it's not friendly. Um, like a native. Should we yes, be actually saying don't. this? Where where are you going with this, Rich? Because uh, well, I'm trying to help people the buy them if they're not bothered about details. Quite, quite you know, now. you are. The legal side of things is quite tight now, so I'm not sure you should be... No, there's no logos on it. There's no logos. It's yeah, literally... It's, it's there's has got a... the pattern. Oh, the, shut the up, pattern is Anyway, as I was saying, if you want to buy one, go to <laughs> Vote Bullshit. <laughs> oh, how they pronounce it? Uh, just so type it there. in. Vote, go there. Um, and you can buy them for about 20 quid. And they they have a sublimated badge, which is a bit wonkaloid. Um but and they don't obviously have. I don't think they've got the stripes on the sleeve, and they don't have an Adidas logo. But and the the neck is just a plain white V-neck. But if you like the design and don't really care about the, the minutiae of it like we do, then yeah, go and buy one for about twenty quid plus about ten euros postage, and they're great. And you can also get what looks amazing is a tracksuit top in it, which has a round neck, which is the red, white, and blue, and it looks fantastic. So go there and buy that and stick it to Adidas. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't do that, and do I'd it. like it on the record that I said, don't do that. I'd like on the record I said, stick it to Adidas. No. <laughs> Unless the lawyers come around, in which case I didn't say it. Oh, my name is John Devlin. Just as a final point, we come back to the thing again about um, you know context and stuff. And it was like with the Denmark show we just mentioned, when... Uh, Holland went back to having plain orange shirts again as they'd had before there's suddenly that moment you kind of go oh looks a bit boring mm. really by comparison and it's, and even though it's a stronger version that you get the full sort of full fat orange coming through um, 
it's it somehow it just looks very flat. I wouldn't say boring because it's because there's some great flat orange colored or you know Netherlands shirts, but because of what you know that shirt was like, and because of the impact that it had, it, whatever followed was always going to look perhaps a little little dull by comparison. And the same was uh, same could be said for the Denmark shirt when they went back to solid red shirts after that. But um, well, the, anyway. the funny thing with that is that when Holland appeared at um, World Cup '90, they had gone back to a plain old solid orange shirt, and I remember hating it at the time mm. because it just looked so dull compared with the '88 one. Yes. However, in hindsight, I actually think that's one of the classiest Holland shirts around because um, it's it's a very nice plain shirt with a, a wrap over and a collar, and it's just I don't know. There's something about it which just looks really good. Um, but at the time, because of the disappointment factor, hated it. But that's interesting, um, though, uh, Rich, because I think what you're you've stumbled on something there that happens a lot with kit design these days, or maybe it doesn't, is this idea of you know progression that every kit gets more and more and more and of course what we see now is a kit getting more and then restrained and then more you know so it's, it's actually switching backwards and forwards you know like West Brom switching to all white the last season and then the strikes are back you know and it gives them it gives them a marketing angle doesn't it to do something completely different there's not a natural progression of design anymore it's flitting backwards and forwards all the time yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an important thing especially I know it's your bugbear John that the changing of kits every season and that's so important that you have a direct contrast and that is something that we planned yeah. ahead I expect that to say okay this is this season we can we can have add all the flourishes and the following season strip it back again and then exactly. keep on going in that kind of cycle yeah so it's, it is important the uh, the other thing about this um, the Netherlands shirt last uh, last year's World Cup the the away shirt that Netherlands wore seems very very influenced the geometric or isometric pattern mm. is very much influenced by it. The leaked images of the home shirt for that tournament had the same pattern and then when yeah, the, the actual shirt came out it didn't have that pattern. So mm. I don't know whether the legal side of Adidas got involved there and say no 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 you're not you're not just re recreating our shirt because obviously Nike make the, the Netherlands shirt so but they mm. it went ahead on the away shirt but didn't seem to turn out that way on the home. It might have just been False information and just uh, Far East copies being made, um, which which were <clears throat> inaccurate. But um, yes, it was interesting at the time. Ironically, I I own that um, that blue away shirt, and the only place I could actually find to buy it was VoteballShop.nl, <laughs> who also <laughs> sells the '88 copy. Sorry, go on, John. Uh, go on, Jay. Um, yeah, m maybe that that site is paid. The millions of pounds it must cost to to Adidas to use that use that design under license, maybe. Yeah. So that maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what shop was that? Was that VoteBallShop <laughs> Have you got Not shares in this shop? I bloody wish I had. All your quality shirts from the Holland Nation. <laughs> I was just going to add, though, when you when you look back at these, whether you love or hate these sort of sub, um, sublimated patterns, Adidas did them, did them best, didn't they? When you think about the Man United away shirt about that time as well, they really created these distinctive all-over-print all designs. I think mm -hmm. they uh, it was a real a real great period for them. 
Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Good point. Um, we had a few bits of uh, feedback from uh, listeners and visitors to the website and such like. Um, Nicky's right, who I should forewarn you has commented on all of the last five shirts. Uh, he's uh, clearly trying to uh, gain a series of his own. Um, uh, said, I think Russia only wore their version of this shirt once uh, against England during Euro 88. They wore their white away kit in all the other games. That's a reference to some stuff that we put in our uh, blog post about the fact that uh, yeah, the Soviet Union had their red version. Um, James Taylor via Facebook said, um, sometimes I'll refer to the Hullet, Rijkaard, Van Basten trio as the three Dutchmen, uh, as if all the Netherlands players before <laughs> and since were, weren't all so Dutch. Uh, yet even though I idolised those three great players during their time together at Milan, I admit that I never cared for this kit despite the success associated with it. If I must be permanently ostracised by the football attic fraternity for this comment, then so be it, he says. Mm -hmm. um, apart from the ugliness of the pattern, he says, I think my main gripe then, as now, is that the fade-out element waters down waters down its colour, uh, resulting in a shirt that isn't as orange as it might have been. Uh, I much prefer the shirt that came before. That comment also applies to West Germany's away kits and the USSR in the same period. So another uh, thorough and uh, well-put comment there from you, James. Thank you. Good points there. Good points there. Yeah. Yes. Just on um, that point, the, uh, the idea that it's, it waters down the shirt... The reason why that hasn't come up more, I think, is probably because in the final they wore orange uh, shorts and orange socks. Yeah. Did they wear orange socks as well, I think, shocks. in the final? Orange socks. Orange socks. When in Amsterdam. Um, the... <laughs> they only wore those in the Champions League. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they did wear orange shorts and socks, so that obviously ups the level of orange in the whole kit. So maybe m fewer people notice that because of that. But yeah, it's a lot more white than you'd usually have on a, on a Netherlands shirt. I know for a fact that uh, a good friend, Ed Carter, from the 200% podcast, said um, the only thing wrong with this shirt is um, really the fact that um, the shorts, in no matter what colour, never will match the shirt. It's always a flat mm. colour for the shorts, whether they're orange or white, which is a valid point, although yeah. I think the white is a nice contrast uh, for the shorts. But um, What they should have done was continue the design on the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine it? Um, uh, more pithy in their comments was uh, Mark Knight, who said, epic fail. Uh, and uh, James Wellham said, thought this would be number one. Uh, must be a couple of absolute stunners ahead of it. We'll carry on listening, James. Mm -hmm. You're in for a treat, is all I can say. Um, uh, but uh, we, we do now go on to our number two shirt. Um, and that one is uh, a shirt that was worn by England. No, no, not 1966. No, no, not 1990 either. It's the 2009 home shirt uh, by Umbro, uh, which I can honestly say is something of a controversial entity, as we'll soon find out. But um, but we seem to at times be among the minority that uh, admire this shirt for its simplistic beauty. Um, uh, Jay, how about I come to you first? So I think you'll do a grand job of um, uh, being eloquent about the qualities of this shirt. Yeah, uh... We'll get onto how how great the shirt is in itself in a second, but the the main thing about this shirt is how important. Well, the the first thing to say is that it was incredibly important. So it was a direct contrast to the preceding shirts in that it stripped away all of the extra features that were that were regarded as um, entirely superfluous and were proved to be entirely superfluous by this release. So you. For something on first glance that looks like a polo shirt, believe me, it isn't just a simple polo shirt. It is incredibly well thought out. You, you've got sleeves that are so cut back that in terms of the the amount of material used, let's say, on the sleeves is 
so much less than before. And the influence, both in football shirts and in clothes that we're, we're wearing today, is was influenced by this enormously. So um, very, very simple to look at initially, just the badges, um, a simple sort of polo neck collar, I suppose, but it didn't have a top button. Um, the the silhouette that it creates is ideal. Um, remember, we, we're coming to a, an age where all the sort of baggy shirts and everything is regarded as a hindrance for footballers, so that was stripped back as well. Uh, but the, the, it has things like darts, so like these, these special little seams on the back and stuff that would improve the cut of the shirt. It's got uh, seams down the sides, which are a special angle to, to go with the contours of the body. Just perfection. Oh, the, the crest instead of stripping back the, the the crest as they have done recently and made it very, very simple in terms of design uh, properties, it's fully embroidered, um, almost, well, it's, it's always going to be 3D, but it, it's it's so contoured now that it really gives depth to that design going back to the style that they wore in the 50s. So it's just beautiful in terms of the colours used, perfectly contrasts against the white. Um, brilliant shirt, just fantastic. And... The influence of that shirt goes on to this day. When you think it's now six years since that shirt was released, and yeah. its importance is immeasurable. John, I know you're a big fan of this one as well. Tell us what you like about this shirt. Oh, there's another book in this. If I had my way, this would be number one. This would be number one. I mean, I think this is. I I still believe. It was the most important football shirt, certainly for the last 40, 50 years. I really, really feel that. Um, I mean, it was. I mean, as, as, as Jay said so brilliantly, it, it's putting it right back in context again. And you look at where kit design was. And, and I don't know if people will remember, there was a leaked England shirt that came out mm. just before this one. Do you remember that, Jay? And it was, yeah, and everyone was yeah. saying it was the... And it was awful, and in my heart sank when I saw it. I thought, oh, please, God, don't let that be. Even as a Scotland fan, please don't let them go out wearing that. And, of course, when this came out, it was so completely different. The other one had everything on it, bells, whistles, design, um, patterns, sort of colour issues, everything going on there. And this one stripped it right back. And people, if you think, if you think this is just, can I say bollocks on this podcast? This is just a polo shirt. Then Isn't it's, that all that Jay talks? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking bollocks. Seriously, seriously. I mean, it, it's the thought that's gone into this and the risk that Umbro took in putting this shirt out. It's like saying the England 66 World Cup winning shirt was just a red T-shirt because that's what all, that's all that is. A long sleeve T-shirt. It's mm. no, you cannot criticise a shirt by saying it's just a polo shirt. What do you expect it to be? You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, you put it into context of what was going on and how it was a game changer and how it's influenced so many other manufacturers and shirts since. It, it's a seriously important shirt, and the care and love that Umbro put into it is um, makes it, you know makes it that so good and of course it, it you know umbro actually kind of rebranded at the same time as well and ditched their extended version of their logo and went back to the simpler red red simple double diamond i mean it's just it was just a perfect match really was and it's um yeah i can't praise it highly enough and rich your views please polo shirt <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm kidding. It's just the amount of times that we've heard that phrase. I think Jay and John, Rich really Johnson, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> polo shirt, mate. Bollocks, polo shirt. <laughs> um, I'll wear it in me cab. 
Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's there's very little I can add that hasn't already been said. Um, I mean, one of the, the points that I made in my personal write up of it was that um, it I I think that I've I've, I've written that the the subsequent demise of Umbro was a bit of a double edged sword because um, had they uh, sort of gone out just before this shirt, they'd have I don't think there'd have been as much love for the company as there was. I know that people have you know they'd supplied us for forty odd years and. Apart from the Admiral years, um, and but like I've said before, I think everybody that knows me knows my feelings on the previous shirt to this, which was the one where it's, it there was so much crap on it. It was just an awful shirt, um, even though the whole version of it made it into our top fifty somehow. Yes. Um, but I, I, the funny thing is, is that it's one thing I've always said, and it's when Umbro did the whole tailored by range, and they released like an absolute glut of gorgeous shirts. Um, but the problem with that is, where do you go from then? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it they with some they sort of, they struggled to maintain the look. I think Man City they actually released a couple of good shirts, mm-hmm. um, but England, the one that followed it. I quite liked because of some of the ideas, and I know a lot of people disliked it because of the the multicultural panel that it had on it. People didn't like it because it represented multiculturalism. Some people <laughs> didn't like it because it because it looked a bit fey. I liked it so much I bought the limited edition one, which is covered in it. Um, and then the the last one that they did, which was the the one for Euro 2012. It, it I mean that kind of felt like a it felt like they'd almost run out of steam again. It's like, and I think it's a shame because it kind of almost it, it feels like it watered this version down, but I think this is such a strong shirt in itself that it actually stands above it, and people generally forget the last two that came around and just remember this one. And I think John made the, the, the important point, and I think Jay did as well, that it was one of the most important shirts purely because it completely changed the way that the kit was seen. It, was just, it went from being... You know, just another tiling that they crapped out, and then suddenly it was this utterly revolutionary design. And I, I think it's quite sad that some people look at it and just go, "It's a polo shirt," because it's completely missing yeah. everything that makes this shirt great. And it's just like if you can't see why this shirt was so great, maybe if you're coming in from the blue and you just look at it, I can see why people might go, "Well, it's just a plain shirt. Why do they think it's so great? It's just a plain white shirt." But it's it's the timing of it, and it was it was the importance of what it did for kit design at the time, and the complete three uh, not three sixty, the complete one eighty it did in the direction that shirt design was going. And I just, like I say, I, I think it's sad if you can't appreciate why it's so good. But you know, and and, just... and, and again, Richard, you say, and I'm going to reel out another design cliche here. There's a design thought that says actually any design you strip back all that all that's superfluous, all that's not necessary, and once you've pared it down to the bare minimum, then it's finished. And that's what this shirt did. And that's what England have worn. So these people that criticise it, I reckon the same people that will wear their 66 retro tops and not see the irony in what they're saying. Well, I mean, the, one of the, the things... The bizarre thing I mean, was... Sorry, go on, John. No, uh, go on, you... Well, I was just going to say, on, on that England 66 one, obviously the away shirt they then released was aping clearly the, the 66 shirt, and people loved it. And yet <laughs> all that was was a plain red shirt with a white collar and cuffs, and yet people went mental over it. Oh, it's a 66 one. It's like... Oh, for God's sake! You know. I think it's it is like attention to detail that went into it, and of course, I think we mentioned as well that you know um, all the players were, were, were there were tailored shirts, so all the type, the players were made the shirts were made to measure. So mm. it was the the care that they put into that 
that's the funny thing because, like I say, people from the outside look at this shirt and just go, "Well, there's clearly no thought gone into it because it's just a plain shirt." And yet, you can see if you base it on what had gone before, how much thought had gone into it. Exactly. And there's one thing I think Jay, because that's when I first met you, wasn't it? We went up. We were we were with Umbro with the launch of the away shirt. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Talked, talked to David Blanche. <laughs> sort of slight sort of despair in his voice. Like, yes. <laughs> but we talked to David Blanche about. About this shirt, and because one of the things he said was that up until that point was when shirts became multi-panelled, so you'd have all sorts of extra panels under the sleeves and different mesh materials. And what the trend was was to always colour them, always make them a contrasting colour. So you got this horrible glut of kits with white under, well, white panels under the sleeves and down the sides and stuff. And again, they were the first time, the first company, the first shirt that said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to draw attention to the different fabrics here. We're just going to make them all uniform. So again, Rich, as you say, the thought that's gone into it is is immense. One other minor detail that a lot of people moaned about at the time as well was the, um, and again, I found annoying, was the fact that everyone complained that the three lions slash leopards had become uh, a royal blue rather than a, the navy which they'd yeah. more usually been. And everyone was up in arms about it, and yet a lot of those same people claim that the 98 shirt that we wore in, in World Cup 98 was one of their favourites. And it's like, yeah. that had really small lines, and they were in an even lighter blue. And it's just, you just, I don't know, and I mean, it's like when the first night kit came out for England, and people said, oh, it's West Germany. It's just like, there's such this lazy kind of thought process that goes into it. It's just like kind of, oh, I've seen a shirt like that before, and it looked like that one, or a Dapono shirt. And it's just, like, it's such a sort of, <laughs> Simplify. I'm going to really get hate mail now, but it's such a sort of simplistic way of looking. I mean, I thought the first night shirt for England was great. I thought it looked great. It was a pair again, pairing it right back down, and taking it, you know, taking inspiration from well, okay, West Germany, but but it's, it just worked for me. It's just it was a nice plain shirt, and yet people didn't like it. But like I say, had Ombro released that shirt, everyone would have been up in arms and said, "Oh, this is a brilliant shirt. Well done, Ombro." In the same way that, like I said, if, if, you know, everyone loves the 82 shirt. Yeah, if Nike released that as their first one that they ever did, everyone would go mental, go, what are they doing? You know, yeah. but people, they'd kind of all be clever like us, you know. <laughs> we, are, we are export. We are experts. I knew you said exports then. Export. We are experts, of course. <laughs> one final point, I, I sort of feel like I've gone on a little bit about this, but I think, Rich, you said as well that the the idea of where do they go from here I think is a very, very valid point. Because although this is the, the pinnacle of greatness in football kit design, in my view, I think that it's right, it is the pinnacle. And I'm not sure where kit design has gone since. It's been a hard act to follow. I think Umbro found it hard. And I think I don't quite know the, the influence and ripples it's had. I don't quite know if it's been too dramatic and, and uh, you know, what, what sort of state kit design is in, maybe because of this shirt. Well, so long as it doesn't look like a polo shirt, you're all right. <laughs> Um, I have very little else to add to that, other than that just because it's all been said already, essentially. But I just think if there's a one word, if there's one word that sums this up, it's dignified. It just it stands out just because of its styling. It hasn't got a big retro floppy, you know, flappy collar. It's just it's a small collar. It's but it's kind of it's got a it's got crisp lines to it, and and just the you know the the, the I don't know. Just the, as you say, the lines. It's, it's not often you say this about a football shirt, but just the lines of the cut of the fabric and the way that it fits. And here we are, normally talking about ten tangible features like you know the use of colour or stripes or whatever shadow patterns. And this is all. This is getting its greatness from none of that. It's getting it from like literally the the 
the physical shape and the fit of the shirt, which must make it in a very puts it in a very narrow um, sort of category, really, for for great shirts for, um, in in terms of reasoning behind it. So, um, you know, and I like the fact that you've just got that little um, flash of colour on the red on the Umbro diamond, which is probably just about enough to satisfy those people that sort of go, oh, why can't we have red on the England shirt? Because it's off of the flag, isn't it? And then stuff like that. So it's just, there's just enough, a little bit of red, that's all you need, lovely job. And, the, and as you said, Rich, the colour of the, of, the, of the badge as well, just, it just worked. It was, a, it was such a breath of fresh air and um, it kind of makes you wonder why more manufacturers haven't tried something of that ilk. Uh, maybe they're uh, they're not capable of uh, uh, pulling off something with that sort of flair and panache. I don't know, but anyway, uh, needless to say, we've had some feedback on that as well. Uh, Nick is right. Says um, I totally agree about this shirt. It changed everything. The first wave of the tailored by Umbro range was exceptional, especially the Man City home and third shirts. Um, and then he goes on to say, with only one more shirt to go, there's a few big omissions from this top 50 for me. And then he goes on to list uh, maybe the uh, Barcelona Maber kit 82 to 92, uh, Umbro Ajax, etc., etc., etc. I'll just sort of paraphrase by saying that, but um, we'll come on to the number one shirt. And indeed, we'll talk about maybe shirts that might have featured and didn't later on. But for the time being, thank you very much. Nick is right. Uh, Rick and Steve via Facebook said, an overpriced PE shirt with a badge on it. I think we've addressed those concerns already. Um, <laughs> Joshua Gilmore-Jones via Facebook said, uh, great shirt, but nowhere near the 8082 Admiral top. To which James Taylor replied, that's because it's the exact opposite, thankfully. Um, <laughs> Mark Knight um, who um, I think is, um, if you look up the word negative in the dictionary, you may find his name because he just says give over. Um, and um, James Wellham said, yes, was worried this might not make it. Love this shirt, an absolute classic. So we end on a positive of that one, but um, did, thank you. Uh, sorry, did, uh, did, how did he spell give over? Because they're actually uh, quite an up-and-coming manufacturer currently. They, I think they make oh, a lot they of shirts. Oh, actually, yes. No, it, no, it was actually spelled as give over. <laughs> Uh, um, shame. Um, the just regarding the the other uh, benefit of stripping back a shirt like this is that you you're always going to add things for the player's shirt. So I think they had a scroll under the crest for, for which mm -hmm. included match details. Then you've got the the patches on the sleeves. Uh, you've got front number, back number, player's name, and all these kind of other different features. Um, so so considering that all these things are going to be added on. You, it sort of mini, it should minimise how many different features you put on the shirt in the first place because then obviously it does get overly cluttered. So that's another yeah. benefit of stripping it back to this this way. Um, regarding David Blanche, uh, who was a designer at Umbro at the time, uh, was uh, heavily behind this shirt. Uh, there's an, on the article on the Football Attic website, uh, I've linked to an interview that I did with him around that time and I went back to that interview to check whether I'd actually been sucked in by sort of marketing chat and and maybe just been convinced by it and it just everything he says rings true about about what goes into making a great football shirt so it's worth a read I think mm, you talk about the details as well with players shirts I know that there are there's plenty of hidden details actually in the shirt that, that mm. differentiate replicas from from official match worn player shirts. I won't say what they are, but there's there's plenty of them there. And if you know where to look, they are they are there. 
and a belated um, uh, suggestion to you all as well listening in if you haven't already gone to thefootballattic.com to see um, John's fine illustrations that uh, accompany each of the 50 posts uh, that we created in this countdown then uh, please do so just uh, if you need a little visual cue to remind you of uh, how great some of these shirts were that's uh, something that uh, if you haven't done so already you should uh, by all means do so especially not least as we finally reach the number one in our countdown after over seven weeks of daily posts on the on the website and indeed over a year in the planning it all finally reached the climax with this number one shirt it was as many of you will have guessed the West Germany shirt uh, made famous during uh, well certainly World Cup 90 let's put it that way um, it is their shirt worn between 1988 and 1991 home shirt by Adidas uh, famous I think for the black red and yellow sort of I always call it a ribbon motif that uh, went across the, the shirt um, but um, well needless to say it really is a classic and um, well, we've been gratified by the fact that many of you have backed us up on that view and, and said that you totally agree which is um, wonderful to hear um, let me come to you first Rich on this one um, what, is, what is there to say about such a, a well-known famous and brilliant shirt Wait a minute, haven't we seen this template before in this top fitting? Yay! Templates! Yeah, it's just... I mean, I, I made the point in our write-up that, that this was not only um, one of the few shirts we were all unanimous on including in the top 50, but I think it was one we were pretty much all unanimous on having at number one as well. I don't think I did at first. I think I was either lobbying for Netherlands or Denmark. But then once we talked about it, I, I very quickly changed my tune because I, I, it's one of those ones that, because it's, it's, it's kind of a perfect mix of, of, of subtle and not subtle, if you see what I mean. It's like kind of, because when you look at it, it's just, I mean, there's like three very distinct color bars across the middle and in a, in a, like you said, in a kind of zigzaggy shape. So it's like, on the one hand, you look at it and think, wow, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's quite shocking, especially all German shirts beforehand. Um, had not had anything like that, and I think I made the point that the only one that had, had real that had actually ever really used the red and yellow on it before was the '86 shirt, which had it as very very tiny lines on the the wrap over the collar it had, and and possibly on the cuffs, and that was it. You know, that was that was the only time they'd really used it before, I think. And then suddenly it's like out of nowhere, there's three massive bars running across the shirt, but at the same time, it looked stylish it didn't look overbearing it didn't look shocking it just looked great and it's it's a it's a rare shirt that you can just look at immediately and go that just looks perfect you know it's just like and and obviously it perfectly used the colors of the german flag which again we'd said they'd not done before but it i don't know there was just something about it which it's just looked i mean i think I, the phrase that i used in my write-up was it just felt right it was like something had been missing all these years you know and and then obviously they they bastardized it for the the 92 and then the 94 one and it just you know but nothing can actually diminish the impact this had and and the fact that it lasted for so long as well it it, it was just ace can't say anything more really just brilliant Jay, I'm going to come to you next. Um, I mean, that's we, we've we have featured the template, if you can call it that, um, in other places in the countdown, two other places, and um, well, we've already discussed the the reasoning behind kind of why we've done that on or with other shirts. But this this is the ultimate version, isn't it? Really, I mean, there, there is no you know there is no equal to this one. Yeah, the, this is the the sort of definitive version of of using that template, but. Um, 
for for the number one shirt, I don't think it's that shocking that the the best shirt in the world ever also has a, a couple of shirts. There's also a couple of other shirts that um that obviously uh, obviously nod to it in a very strong way that have made it in the top fifty. I don't think that should be that shocking to people. If you actually add up how many different templates there have been, if you, you you're talking about a football replica industry of maybe 25 years or so there's not that many templates and there's not that many that are really really great so to have two other shirts in the top 50 for me isn't all that shocking but this is certainly the the best version of it this is the one that'd be most recognizable and uh yeah the influence goes on to, to tracksuit top sweatshirts so many different times this has been used and it's been it's br been brought back um in the originals range on various different uh various tops uh so much this design and, and it's come from nowhere so where, what is this design this isn't something that's been uh this been taken out from the from a leisure wear range or anything like that this is something they can't okay well we need to design something imagine like someone at a, a drawing board saying okay well i've been i've been given this task to design a, a feature to go on the new germany shirt and that's what you come up with and that's it takes a life of its own afterwards that's an achievement mm. there but you've created this from apparently from nothing. All right, the the German flag is a is a big influence, and something we need to note is that they can't bring this shirt back because FIFA regulation just wouldn't allow this. Certainly in a tournament, you wouldn't be able to wear the flag, something that so clearly is the flag in that way. Um, but yeah, just it's just fantastic, and the shirt as a whole. We obviously got the classic. Uh, German crest there, the the circle crest which came in around in the 80s, I think somewhere around then, um, and then the the classic trefoil Adidas logo as well, yeah, just perfection. Just on a technical point now, I think that circle crest came in a lot earlier than that. I think way back into the well, certainly in the 60s, I think it was around. It does go back quite a way, although it's in slightly modified form maybe, but um, but we won't dwell on that. Um, we have bigger issues. I mean, John, um, I mean. Just that sort of ribbon motif. I mean, for me, for a start, it's not just a sort of regular horizontal stripe. It's just a seemingly random, as, as Jason sort of zigzagging stripe. Um, and, and for me, that's kind of become almost as strong a motif where football shirts are concerned as Adidas's three stripes. I mean, something on a shirt has become sort of a, a, an entity in its own right. I mean, what's your view? Yeah, do, do you know what? It's a bizarre thing. I was literally, literally just thinking that very same thought for the first time as you said that. I was thinking, you know, that really has they have created something special. Although, interestingly enough, looking at it again, there's a, definitely a hint of the old Umbro diamond in there a couple of times, yeah. I think. Well, which, yes. is in, which is interesting, isn't it, when you look at it, you know, well, years they, later. They did a couple, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you remember, the, I think it was the France home shirt. That was you worn during Euro '96. They had it was, again a template, three rows of diamonds down the side. And I, when that one came out, I thought, well, if that's not Umbro, kind of, you know, then I, I don't know what it is. But, but, anyway. but I think yes, I mean, it's it's one of those shirts. It is. It's a real. It doesn't. Oh, I don't know. It's a shirt of contradictions, in my view. It's kind of it shouts and it doesn't shout at the same time. It's it's stunning and yet it's simple. It's it's a real mixture. But there's. I think it's really that the fact that they're they're so lucky that this, the colours in their flag are so strong and always mm. look so good together that instantly they've got they've got a head like heads up there. You know they're one step ahead. 
the idea of bringing that, integrating the flag into the shirt, again, you've got to remember, it wasn't really done that often back then. I'm trying to think of examples where it happened, but it makes perfect sense. And when you've got a white shirt, it's like you've got a blank canvas. Right, what do we do with this? Colour to the national flag. It makes perfect sense. And I think, as Rick said, why hadn't it been done earlier? But again, you're looking at uh, football shirt culture, if you pardon the expression, and context, looking at how shirts had developed over those years. And at, at this point in the 80s, you know, it, it hadn't even really been considered that much before. But there is, there, I mean, the design itself is brilliant, the colours are brilliant, and, and it's a shame it never, I mean, it popped up, I think, was it the Arsenal um, tracksuit yeah, top, I think? Yeah. Liverpool as well, Manchester United. Liverpool wear it as well, okay. And I know they it's like tracksuits, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's um, you know, and yet relatively as well, it's 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 not balanced, it's not symmetrical, you know, it's it's a it's an asymmetrical design. It's just yeah. really well thought through and um, has created such a a brilliant brilliant shirt. Hmm. It's um, if I'm just thinking if that would have yeah that ribbon thing would have appeared on on the shirt of. I don't know, a London football club or something, then someone would probably pontificate and sort of say, well, it's, it clearly is um, you know, a motif for the River Thames or something, you know, but it's, it's not even that. I don't know, to my knowledge, it's the Rhine or something, but I don't think it is. It's just it's just an abstract line, and it's, it's just uh, beautiful, really. Um, yeah, I think just to sort of um, uh, add to what was already said, um, going along similar lines, it's the sort of plainness. There's no, as far as I can tell, there's no shadow stripes or shadow patterns. There's no piping on the collar. It's a very simple, plain white wrap over collar. Um, the, all you've really got by way of additional interest is is the three Adidas stripes in black, which only go as far as you know, start off at the neck and then go down to where the the ribbon starts, and um, and that's it. There's no there's no another fancy paraphernalia. It's just a plain white kind of shirt, but with the with the three colours, and um, it's just it's just sensational. I mean, I, I can't. I think it was worn for the first time in Euro '88, or at least yeah. that was the first major tournament it was worn in. So, um, uh, and it just looks so sort of fresh and like one of those sort of game-changing designs where you suddenly think, oh, someone's just kind of leapt ahead a little bit when it comes to kind of forward thinking. It's it's one of those moments really. So, um, yes, um, an absolutely I'm beautiful shirt. One thing I haven't covered on, on the illustration that well, looking at it again, I think some versions of the shirt had the Adidas logo very low, very low slung down, fitting almost in that little V that the, no, right. the strokes make. I think some versions had that, and I like that as well. I get quite bored by mm. the same placement of manufacturer logo and badge. I like mm. to see them moved around a bit. Um, it just, again, it creates a bit of interest. It creates a bit of kind of design tension, if you like, and mm. and, that, and uh, that's what I think that's what the shirt does. Could they wear it now with numbers? Where would the where would the shirt number on the front of that go? I wonder. Oh yeah, that's just a whole Yeah, Probably it's a uh, badge, wouldn't it? Or in the middle, yeah. somewhere under the stripes. Yeah, I don't stripes up. I didn't realise. Is, is, is there is there some kind of legislation now that says you can't have nationalistic sort of partisan motifs on your shirt that reflect your your flag or whatever? You you, you can reflect the flag, but it can't be a, a direct representation. So, if you look at the the chevron design that germany had last year when they won the world cup it does it's it's red but it has i think is it the black at the top mm. it has like a trim of black at the top and and gold at the bottom i think so there it's is, sorry you were going to say rich i was going to say there there is also a thing that i i read a while ago and and 
I'm not sure of the veracity of this, but I'm pretty sure it's true that um, FIFA only like you to have a maximum of three colours on any shirt, but they gave special dispensation to Germany to have the red, yellow, red, yeah, red, yellow, and black on a white shirt, and therefore it was four colours. So they might have clamped down on that now. Well, I, I, I know the, the rule with the flag, I think, Jay, isn't it that you can have a flag on there somewhere, but it can't sort of dominate the design or something yeah. like that? Is that right as well? Yeah, I think maybe you I think some countries maybe had it as a tiny little motif underneath the collar or something like that, but um yeah, yeah you certainly can't have it as you you're representing a federation I think is the point. You're not representing a country necessarily. So it's it, that sounds ridiculous, but I think it's something along those lines. It's not meant to be a political. You're not representing the the politics of that country and the um I think the the flag would represent politically the country when in fact you're representing a nation so it's, it's something along those lines I think it's the thinking but for whatever reason yeah you, this just won't be allowed anymore mm. curious uh, point there yes indeed um, so uh, I mean, regarding our feedback Nick is right with his final point in this podcast said uh, it <laughs> had to be this head and shoulders the best shirt of all time uh, Mark Russell said what I always refer to as the three lines on the shirt, which I thought was quite a nice, clever uh, <laughs> play on words. Um, Rick Joshua from an excellent uh, website called schwarzundweiss.co.uk, which is all about the German national team. He said, the perfect finish to a great project. Uh, one of my favourite DFB shirts of all time and one that has never gone out of fashion and never will. Thank you, Rick. That's true. Uh, yeah, um, James Taylor said, I'm a little surprised to see this shirt come in first, uh, particularly since the template had been included twice in the etc. Et et um, <laughs> at, at the time, I felt the design eventually became a bit overused. The ribbon device was clearly invented for West Germany and worked for them best. Um, on other teams, it was simply modified to suit their colours, but there was no real point. Maybe someone can tell me if there were any other cases besides Germany of a three-colour version of the template used in that period. I can't think of any others, gents. So where you've got three colours on a fourth background yeah. colour, if you know what I mean. Um, I think they might have been unique in that respect. Um, I remember there were sort of similar sort of nods in that direction during the 1990 World Cup <laughs> of Colombia and stuff, but it wasn't like, for instance, you'd have a red shirt with the blue and yellow, but that wasn't a ribbon. That was just it was sort of only on the sleeves. And anyway, I digress. Um, the final comment goes to uh, a lovely, upstanding chap, Chris Nee via Twitter, who says the winning shirt in the Football Attic's 50 greatest football shirts ever is obviously the correct one. And uh, Chris, we can't we can't say anything more than that. I think you've just sort of um, summed up how we all feel about that. So thank you very much, and indeed thank you to everybody for all your comments uh, throughout that we've mentioned on the podcast. It's been uh, wonderful hearing from you. Um, we will um, talk generally about the feedback very shortly, but. Um, um, as it is, we rounded off this whole sort of series by doing an infographic in which we summed up some of the uh, data that was generated, if you like, from this whole um, series from the 50 shirts, just to sort of give you an idea of, um, you know, the, the makeup of where some of the shirts um, come from in the world and what some of the designs were like and how many were striped and plain and all sorts, um, all kinds of things really that, that came out about this, uh, that came out from this. I think in, in, in some ways the first and uh, most prominent thing that I remember is when I was doing the 
the rainbow about the, the, the predominant shirt colour of all our 50 shirts. The black didn't feature in any of them, fellas. I mean, obviously black isn't worn as a home colour for many teams because of various because of various reasons, but um, obviously for away shirts and third shirts, um, black has become a tremendously um, popular colour, and yet it hasn't featured. Is that because you think that it's difficult to pull off a black shirt with real style and that you know, people can't leave well alone there to put little stripes on and things? No, I don't. I don't. I think, I think people who like football shirts don't necessarily go for for black shirts. People who don't like football shirts are more likely to wear a black shirt. So that's why they they release so many. I think, um, yeah, the black football shirt is for the person who doesn't like football shirts, uh, and it's it's proved incredibly, um, incredibly saleable. I suppose that that if you if you release something that is unassuming in that way um, then people are more likely to buy it but that's it's just a little bit depressing I was, I, it, it was a shock to me that we didn't have any black shirts in there but I can't think of any that I really really think are fantastic I don't think no I didn't I mean I as I've, I think I've stated before I do have a problem with black shirts and, and I think it sums up the designing for replicas rather than for on the field use I think that's mm. why I put an issue with it but I mean and I think from a from a football shirt kind of anorak, you look at them, and it's all about colour, isn't it? That's what you're looking at, oh. colour and design. Black is absence of colour. So mm. maybe, there's, again, there's a reason why subconsciously I resist black shirts. But I think you're right, Joe. I think so many of them are just sort of, meh, you know, like Chelsea's black shirt every year. You look at it and think, right, okay. It, it just does nothing. It doesn't excite. it, And yet, really, you know, working with black... From a design point of view, it should be easy. It's sophisticated, yeah. mysterious, but it just doesn't seem, for me, it doesn't excite me on a, on a football pitch. I I also think part of the problem is that um, obviously we, you know, you're talking kit history that could co that can stretch back 150 years, but black has only been a real colour that's been available here for yeah. since the the mid 90s. Um, when the Premier League referees swapped to green and orange yeah. shirts and various colours. So I think the problem is that because of that, then everybody wanted a black shirt, and it was like the latest thing. So then suddenly we had a glut of black shirts. But I think we talked about this before, I think we made the, fact, the, the comment that black shirts tend to be an away shirt or a third shirt rather than a home one. So they're not as prevalent, and they don't always sort of spring to mind as, as, as much as um, home shirts or... or you know, national shirts, because other than, well, I think we said before, other than now Mexico, nobody really plays in black um, as a as a home national shirt. I reckon New Zealand have it as an away shirt, but again, nobody plays in black. So it's it's a shirt that you don't see that often either, so it's not as much in your conscience. Um, mm. But, that, I mean, I think, um, I think it was a Marseille one from a couple of years ago that they wore in Europe, which had a kind of um, wavy colours down the side, which was an amazing-looking shirt. So, yeah, I, I just think it's because they're not... They're, cause, and I, it's, it's, it's weird because I think this, it's almost like two contradictory things. One is that we've had a glut of them, so you kind of get sick of seeing the damn things. But at the same time, they still don't really fall into your conscience because they, they're not home shirts. So they're just not as well-known, which kind of contradicts itself, but... I don't care. It makes sense to me. And I, and I guess maybe, maybe as well, that black shirts have primarily only really been around in the, in the single season cycle era of football shirt mm. designs. So and if they're away or third, they're not worn that often. They're just not getting ingrained into our consciousness. It's a purely, I don't like to use the word lazy, but it really is a way of just selling a replica because it's mm. a, you know, it's a 
the up-to-date design with your team's badge on it, whether it you know is fit for purpose on the pitch or whatever, however you want to describe it, is up for grabs, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. The, uh, I think I think it's it's going to be sales-led. I'm sure <laughs> every season they're seeing decent sales on black shirts and they're going, okay, we'll do it again. And mm. that's, no, that's yeah, definitely. It's an interesting point, especially coming back to my original point, because what I guess I was getting at was if you take something like the England shirt that was number two in our countdown, if you imagine something like that in black, literally just plain black but beautiful styling and with very little else in the way of sort of obvious detail. And I think something like that, it could really work. But I just, when I've seen sort of black shirts, there's this, there seems to be this kind of... Mm. unsatiable kind of desire by the manufacturer I've got to put a yellow stripe down the side or I've got to put a white flash across the, or something it's as if they can't let it be just the black that sells a shirt but then going by what you just said there Jay if it was a plain black shirt probably no one would buy it because it's not interesting enough it would be just a mm. black shirt so black polo shirt mate black <laughs> yes ah <laughs> uh, dear yeah, um Going back, touching on something that was mentioned there about the exposure, another interesting category, uh, interesting fact rather, that came from our um, infographic is that out of the 50 shirts, 32 of them belong to clubs. Now, that to me kind of is a bit reverse logic because I would have thought that shirts belonging to countries that appear in major tournaments would get a lot more exposure and therefore would sort of get into their heads a lot easier. But then I guess thinking about it, you know, the likes of the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera, probably are all encompassing these days. And so, yes, club shirts are pretty much seen everywhere. But um, any views on that? No, I, I sorry, I, I, I disagree with the conclusion that you're coming to there. I think it's a disproportionately high amount of shirts for for countries. And the if you think about how many club sizes there are around the world that that are really in your sort of consciousness is is sort of a couple of hundred or something like that. With international sizes, it's maybe twenty or thirty. So that their influence is a lot greater than than club shirts. And the other thing is that the that a lot of the designs will be seen first on a that that's like the the flagship shirt is the is the the first shirt is is the international shirt and then the club shirts will follow in a similar template. So yeah, I I take the point that there's more club shirts, but I think it's it should be if it was proportionally speaking it would be a lot more club shirts versus only a few international shirts but I think the the international shirts have done a lot better than the club shirts based on those numbers mm. yep um, not only that uh, but the the top four shirts were all national shirts mm. well yes that's a good point well, as well really I see I, I, I must confess I found that puzzling the relationship between domestic because I've personally you know my area of dare I say expertise is, is in UK domestic shirts I've never been that enthralled by international shows, and it is amazing how many we've got in there. I think. Mm, well, yes. actually, looking at the top ten again, only three of the top ten are club shirts. Mm. <laughs> so the rest are all national. So actually, and in fact, if you include the eleventh, then it's another national shirt. So most of our national shirts seems to have come quite high up the list, apart from the ones yeah. that Jay picked. <laughs> I wonder if that's something to do with them appearing in big tournaments. Maybe there's a, there's an extra. A, you know, huge marketing yeah. push there. And when they, when you look at the West German shirt, I think was that one in two tournaments? Was it eighty-eight yeah. in Italian ninety? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and of course, they they won the World Cup in it in nineteen ninety. Yeah. So it makes you realise now quite how important international kit contracts are. I I would suggest the um yeah. uh, in in Euro eighty-eight, uh, Ronald Koeman when uh, the Netherlands beat 
beat West Germany in the semi-final. Ronald Koeman, after the game, um, wiped his backside with the German shirt. That's what he thought of the design. <laughs> As I said at the beginning, everyone's a critic. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, one um, one particular um, bit of criticism I seem to remember from the early point of this uh, earlier period of this uh, project was that um, uh, we seem to have a lot of um, uh, shirts from former eras like the 1970s and 1980s, and yet um, a good 17 of the 50 actually have been shirts uh, since the year 2000, which I think does go some way to redress that particular criticism. Um, but um, and, and only five shirts from the 1970s. I thought maybe my influence might have worked a bit better where that one's concerned. But it just goes to show perhaps <laughs> that there is a well, there's certainly a lot of strength in the shirts from the 1980s because uh, there were 20 of those in our countdown. But like I say, a lot of recent ones as well since the year 2000. Um, um, a good proportion, which is, which is perhaps some reason for optimism for the future, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it, in the 80s one, in a way, it's surprising it's so high, but then if you think about kit design really, really taking off sort of mid-70s, driven by replicas and primarily Admiral, and I guess most of those would be Admiral, wouldn't they, the 70s mm -hmm. ones? By the 80s, it was really gathering pace, and I think you know, the 90s was a, a kind of glut of excess and, you know, everything else. I think the 80s I would say was the um, the pinnacle of kind of innovative kit design when things really changed and things really got interesting. But it doesn't surprise me that the 2000s wasn't. I mean, I think that was maybe looking back, you know, yeah, it did lose its way a little bit there, I guess. But yeah, maybe a few more in the 90s would have been um, wouldn't have been a surprise. Well, I think because the 90s was a very kind of controversial decade, wasn't it? It's when things suddenly went very way out and wacky and everything went a bit off-piste with regards to uh, the shirt design. And um, so there's more, there you get into more controversial territory. But I, <clears> I happen to think yeah. that's a good thing. Other people probably disagree, but there we are. To me, to me, the 90s were a kind of a, a complete yin and yang sort of decade. They started off, you know, with insane designs. And then it just swung back into dullness. You didn't really get many classic designs from the late 90s. There just was a lot of dull mm. designs, you know, just pedestrian ones. And I think that continued in the 2000s. I don't. I think a lot of the ones in the, especially the early 2000s, there were some just truly, just not. I mean, not particularly staggeringly awful to the point of being shocking. Just, just terrible designs. I mean, I think the worst one for me was I think the Brazil 2002. Uh, shirt that they won the World Cup in, which just had so many unnecessary triangles of green on it, and just like lines going here and there, and it was just—it's almost like they just completely run out of ideas. And I think that kind of um, was very prescient of the the kind of the last England shirt before the tailored by range. It's just that was the pinnacle of sticking random shapes in places, and it's just like they completely seem to have lost any kind of will to design good shirts, and they're just instead just adding bits here and there, and, and it be, just became too excessive. Um, and, yeah. and going back to the, uh, the the whole concept of criticism, I think my favourite piece of criticism that we've had throughout <laughs> these is anybody that said uh, the inclusion of shirt X or the exclusion of shirt Y uh, renders this list completely pointless, or, you know, <laughs> renders this list... Uh, oh, I've forgotten the actual phrase that somebody once used. It was just so funny. The, this, like, the hysterical nature of it. It's just like immaterial or something like that. It was just like, <laughs> oh, well, the fact that this one shirt that I think is great isn't here renders this completely useless. An absolute <laughs> waste of time. You know, it's just like, okay... <laughs> Yes, but, it's, yeah. but it's, it's it's funny though, Rich, isn't it? Because I mean, we all have different opinions, and this uh, you know, w this project we've put so much time into this, 
for a long, long period. And it, but it is just our opinions, and people have different opinions. And if they just don't like it, that's fine. But what I, I sometimes think is when criticism gets thrown at it, and it's just rubbish criticism, it doesn't well, make sense. What, what doesn't some really case, mean? In some cases when people will say that, and yet they, they offer nothing in reply to yeah. say what well, they what would I prefer find, or why this yeah. is you know. And what I find equally annoying is when someone says, oh, you know, I don't see why the shirt was in this thing and because of this, and it's at a point that you've directly addressed in the, po in the post. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'll tell you what, read why it's in there, and then you'll see why we chose it. You know, don't just go, this shirt shouldn't be in there because of X, Y, and Z, when X, Y, and Z have already been talked about. It is entirely subjective, and that, and that does need to be remembered. But it, I, I quite like it. I quite like it, people... <laughs> Now the the shirts that they think should have made it, but it's the 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 implication that we have not considered all the shirts that are being suggested. That one gets to me a little bit. It's like no no no. We, we've we've thought about the Brazil seventy. We've thought about the England sixty six. We've thought about Peru shirts. And sometimes we do think to ourselves, yeah, maybe we could have squeezed one in there somewhere. But we nominated shirts. We considered the four of us nominated how many shirts each. It went way way over a hundred shirts. Each. Yeah. yeah. So it, in the end, it was like a huge amount that we we whittled down to the amount that the the fifty that eventually made it in, and we have considered a lot of these different shirts. So to to say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, well, all right, maybe we don't, but but that's not to say that we haven't we haven't considered what you're about to to give to us. Oh no, we oh we've forgotten Peru. Oh no, <laughs> let's just delete it off the internet. Come on, write to Google and say that they're. <laughs> They can't even cash any of this stuff. It's got to go. Peru have got to get in there. No, it's... it's it, it has Dear been Mark Zuckerberg. Some criticism we've had as well with, you know, with some teams, and uh, I'm not going to name names, but you look at them and you think, well, why none of my shirts say anything? Well, yeah, all the shirts are okay, but none of them stand out. And, and like, like the Peru thing, you think, yeah, it's a striking design, great. But which one is the, the very best of that mm. shirt? If nothing well, above the parapet, what can you what can you do? I mean, want it wrapped, I, you know? I made that exact point in the post that I did the follow up, which was where I actually listed some of the shirts that I had nominated but mm. but didn't get it, and then also a couple that I, if we were doing it again, ones that have probably come to mind since then. But I also made the point: it's like I'd, I'd put I'd put finally here's some shirts I wouldn't include, despite the howls of amazement they weren't included already. Brazil seventy for one. I've uh, actually put in brackets, or indeed ever, for Brazil. But yes, it's iconic, but it's hardly the height of design, and we were trying to separate the two of this list. Being popular doesn't automatically make it a great design, in our opinion. And I've put England 66, see above, uh, Real Madrid, sorry, they just don't excite me. And they don't. And again, Ajax, same again. Ajax shirts just don't do anything for me, so I was never going to nominate any of them. Yeah, see, I quite like an Ajax shirt. But I think, again, you're looking at, talking about the Brazil and England one, People about the England, I'm going to go on about it again. The England number two, you know, the, uh, the the polo shirt. It's um, it was designed not to have any of that stuff on it. It wasn't just not designed; it was designed to remove everything. Whereas if you look back to the 60s, they kind of just, they, of course, they were designed, but essentially they just were. They were just a shirt in a different colour because that's all that was required back then. It was a different, pardon the awful pun, a different ball game. It wasn't the same, pardon the other pun, playing field that we're now dealing with. <laughs> Sorry, no more. <laughs> John Punomatic Devlin. <laughs> no, I can't stop now. Uh, 
Um, it's interesting. Um, excuse us if we're sounding a little bit bitter, but uh, you can't. You you wouldn't believe how much we've bottled up over the last couple of months. I had to do. One sort of fine... actually on, on that point, because I was going to say I, I'm not bitter about it. I'm, I just because a lot of it I found funny. You know, especially the ones yeah. which were just like you know so hysterical. It's just like you've got to laugh. But I think John's point about people that criticise but without offering any alternative and kind of just and just sniped about it rather than I mean I don't mind people going I can't stand this shit. Why is it not? But here's what I would have put in. And I, I don't even mind people going I personally would prefer this one. I I don't mind that because again as we've said it's all about opinion. But people that were just like oh, this is a crap list, you know, it's just like, well, mm. do your own list, you know, it's, and, and we never said this was the best shirts ever of all time, you know, de facto, it's just like what we have said, yeah. and and the, as you said, John, it's entirely subjective, and if it had only been three of us or two of us doing this list, it would have been a complete, well, it would have been a different top 50, I'm pretty sure the top been, five, and, and, and if you we, are. If we'd done, God forbid, 100 greatest shirts ever, <laughs> oh, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, I reckon we probably would have encompassed everyone's favourite. I reckon, yeah. there'd be, obviously there'd be a few, but we'd, we'd have grouped it, there'd be a lot more, of course there's a lot more there. We, we know, you know, it's, it's um, and the opinion of it's great, and actually a lot of the criticism, I've read it and thought, that's a good point. Yeah, I yeah, thought that's yeah. brilliant. But when they're naughty points, then that's when it gets, you know, you think, oh, okay. <laughs> Don't well, like yeah. it. That's absolutely fine, you know. I, I but, wonder if, in a manner of speaking, we have actually included everyone's favourite shirt in one way or another. So, so all right, so your favourite shirt isn't in it, but one that, that has the same design elements that you would argue means that your shirt should be in there. We, yeah, we've got one that covers that. And it is a, a range of different designs as well. So 50 shirts is, is quite a lot. So to, to come up with, all right, so we've, we've discounted some very notable shirts, but to come up with 50 different shirts and not have the same template repeating itself over and over again is actually good going. One template had three. That's, that's as far as we went. Um, and to be you, fair with that, Jay, that nearly didn't make two of its incarnations in because okay. you know if someone had oh, pushed it, so damn hard for it, you know. But <laughs> who that was that? that? But, 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 I, I, but that goes back to the point that John made about the fact that we have thought about this. You know, there are there were a hell of a lot of internal debates as well as to certain <laughs> shirts, and there was an awful lot of basically anything. What I'm saying is anything that Jay suggested, I couldn't stand. <laughs> well, one joke, one joke. thing I one thing I did read was. Uh, asked us whether, if we're honest, we would really place the bottom ten, which mainly my shirts, where we would place those shirts above that Maber Barcelona shirt. Now, I've, I've got one of the Maber Barcelona shirts. I didn't nominate any Maber Barcelona shirt. It's poorly made, and it's, it's way behind its time in terms of the, the design. If you look at Man United playing against Barcelona in the 1991 uh, European Cup Winners' Cup <coughs> final, they look like they're from different eras based yeah. on the shirts they're wearing. Man United <laughs> are wearing a modern design, a one-off design for that final, with all kinds of intricate stuff going on, which is very much of the time. Everything's neat, everything is well manufactured. The, the Barcelona shirt that they wore in that final, the, car, the, the collar is basically made of cardboard. It's so badly done, and the cut is not right. The the v-neck goes too low and there's, there's so much wrong with those sorts of shirts so don't assume that we've forgotten about a shirt we know it was there we know it existed and we've gone actually we don't want it in here for whatever reason and, and, and it's funny because I mean sometimes a shirt that looks out of place or looks out of time can be a plus point but in that case I think you're right it, it wasn't it lasted a long while and it's you know 
graced by some of the greatest players, but that's not enough. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, why aren't my team showing? Now you think, yeah, because it means a lot to you because it's your team. And that's brilliant because that's what a football shirt should be about. You should love every football shirt of your team because it's yeah. your team. We've yeah. approached it from a completely neutral point of view. I mean, blimey, as a Scotland fan, I've got an England shirt at number two and I would have had it at number one maybe. You know, we've, but, we've looked at purely try to be as objective as possible. Yeah. But, of course, it's, it's so, so diff- difficult because design <laughs> is purely objective. Um, yeah, but there's a, a couple of things I'd have to say, actually. Um, um, because frankly, I thought they'd never shut up those three. Um, uh, I was just going <laughs> to, I was just going to say um, one thing that we're incredibly grateful for is that in uh, the in the light of this uh, feature reaching its conclusion, um, a number of people have picked up on it and um, produced um, blog posts to, to talk about this 50 Greatest Shirts series across many different places around the world. I mean, the list seems to be growing by the day. Um, you know, we've got sort of places as far afield as kind of Mexico, Peru, Norway, Russia, Germany. It goes on and on and on. And, and um, uh, just recently, I think just this week, we've featured on the Daily Mirror website of all things, for which we're very grateful. Thank you, Daily Mirror. Um, yeah, thank, generate... I just want to say thank you to Richard Innes for that. Just wanted yes. to say that. Thank you, Richard. Very nice yes. and very much appreciated. And, and, and that and Richard's um, uh, involvement particularly has kind of um, increased the uh, amount of dialogue going on around uh, around the web about the shirts that we've featured. Unfortunately, we're blighted in the same instance by the fact that a lot of the people reproducing our, you know, putting our graphics on their website aren't necessarily, well, let me put it this way, they might be putting links back to our website where all our explanations are, but people aren't following the link to see what our reasoning is. Therefore, mm. all they're seeing is a graphic at face value and thinking, hmm, don't like that shirt. But if they were to only sort of, if, if people were to only just sort of read about our reasoning and what we, why we nominate these, <coughs> then it would perhaps give them an insight. But instead, uh, quite often the feedback is something along the lines of this is a crap shirt, which um, frankly doesn't quite sort of show as much effort uh, on their part as perhaps it has on ours. I'm starting to sound very bitter now. I know, but, um, <laughs> but there it is. But um, but I'm 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 yeah. I just want to sort of say um, that the a hell of a lot of the of the comments and feedback we've had have been, I think as was said earlier on, really good constructive comments and people offering alternatives and their own views on things. And that's what we like. And the whole point of this is that we all get to talk about football shirts and what's so great about them, which is kind of the point of this. The fact that we put forward 50 greatest, it's our 50 greatest. You will have an opinion uh, and, um, you know, Hopefully, uh, you can now go off and share that opinion with your friends or whatever and talk about great shirts. And hopefully, uh, you'll um, be somewhat better off for maybe getting to look at the finer detail of shirts and the qualities of shirts that maybe you hadn't considered before and that you'll look at them in a different way and and maybe a better way. Um, But... um, there was only one or two other things I was going to say on the infographic, uh, which is just about the fact that the, most of the manufacturers, uh, most of the shirts were manufactured by Adidas, 18 out of the 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing as well was the, the the location of the teams. Another criticism we got, particularly from the countries I've mentioned before, people sort of saying, oh, this seems very UK-centric. Well, because we are from the UK and we can't possibly know every single shirt that was ever made if we have missed a few. Sometimes it's because, as Jay said, it's because we don't rate them particularly, but sometimes we, we just don't know of that shirt. And we're sorry if there weren't enough Peruvian shirts, Mexican shirts, you know, Norwegian shirts or whatever, um, but we've done our best and we just hope that uh, we've given you something that you've uh, been entertained by or inspired by uh, or even amused by. We'll let you have that one as well. Uh, but um, anyway, 
that was the 50 greatest football shirts ever. Um, Lads, I think I can hear the opening bars of He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother as we go our separate ways. Um, This has been a tremendous journey. And I just want to say personally thank you very much to the three of you for joining me on it because I certainly couldn't have done it on my own. I had sort of when I had the idea, it did flash briefly through my mind of me doing this on my own. And within about a millisecond, I realized it just wasn't possible. I needed people that had a far wider range of knowledge uh, and uh, indeed decent opinions to, to flesh this whole thing out. And you've done a tremendous job. Um, along with me. Go on, then I'll say it. Um, and um, it's been a wonderful journey. So thank you to the three of you. It's been wonderful. Pleasure, um, mate. No, yeah, that's brilliant. A real honour to be involved with it. And, uh, I'm, you know, it's glad it's created some talking points. And it's been brilliant to work together with people that are really into it and have all contributed loads to it, especially Chris, of course, for putting together all the admin and all the um, stuff that goes with it all. So, no, thank oh, you. Excellent. I, I refuse to be singled out. It's a wonderful team effort. So there we go. But thank you anyway, John. Um, well, that is pretty much it. Um, join us next week for the first part of the uh, 50 Greatest Referee Shirts ever. As we, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just, uh, that's I'd just actually do that. We did the 50 Greatest Base Layers. <laughs> <laughs> Can be arranged. Um, but, uh, anyway, I think uh, having stuck two fingers up to brevity all the way through this series, I think we can finally <laughs> sign off. So uh, thank you very much indeed to all of you for listening. Thank you for all your feedback. And uh, for the time being, from the four of us, from John, from Jay, from Rich and myself, it's goodbye to you all. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye from him.